Let's go to Genesis chapter 7 this morning. We are now at the place where God is about to unleash His wrath in the form of a global flood upon a wicked world. Corrupt homes led to a corrupt society and world. But I love how God still extended mercy and grace. The same is true today. Corrupt homes still lead to a corrupt society. But God still offers mercy and grace and forgiveness. Most of us, if not all of us, know what it's like to make a mess of our life. And yet God is so good to offer us forgiveness. God's message of righteousness, God's message of judgment had been sounded forth in the pre-flood world, but sadly all but eight souls rejected God's grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and only Noah and his family are going to be on the ark and be spared from God's wrath. And we're witnessing the same thing today. The breakdown of the home has led to a breakdown in our society, and this world is becoming more and more corrupt every year. Amen. That's a fact. And yet God, who is long-suffering, is still offering mercy and grace to whosoever will receive it. But sadly, many are still rejecting God. And our Lord told us that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. Which means that judgment is on the way once again. Another global judgment is on the way. The world's only hope is Christ. We have the message. Are we giving the message? That's the world's only hope. He is our ark. And only those in Christ are going to be spared from this judgment to come. If you're outside of Christ, it's time to get in. Before His wrath is unleashed. It's a free gift. Don't reject it. God has done everything to make the way of salvation available to all. He's he's already died for all. His blood is sufficient. And and all you got to do is receive it. You have to willingly give your heart to Him because He won't force you to come to Him for salvation. You have to cry out to Him in faith to save you by His grace. Well, last week we saw in verse 4, there's only seven days now until God's going to bring a flood upon the earth. It's going to be 40 days and 40 nights of rain. We'll see later, I think next week, the great fountains of the deep will break up. And this is going to be a horrific event for those outside of Christ. As we begin today in chapter 7, let's read verses 5 through 16. And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. And Noah went in and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood, of clean beasts and of beasts that are not clean and of fowls and of everything that creepeth upon the earth. There went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, the male and the female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, 
the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. The rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. In the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife and the three wives of his son with them into the ark. They and every beast after his kind and all the cattle after their kind and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind and every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort. And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Well, two weeks ago, we saw in verse 1 how God has let Noah know the time has come. Come thou and thy house into the ark. God called Noah and his house in, and being a man who was walking with God, he obeyed. Let me say that again. This, listen, I know why there's a cloud over the service today, because I'm going to say some things that you need to hear. All right, so just pray. There's, there's, an, there's an off spirit right now. And, and, and God, He speaks to a man who's walking with God. And a man who is walking with God is going to obey his God. And, and he entered into the ark. In verse 5, it says, Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. In verse 7, notice what it says. And Noah went in, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark. And then notice in verse 13. In the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons went with them into the ark. So God has said, the time has come. It's time to get into the ark. And notice that God spoke this to Noah. God here, He, he lets Noah know the time's come. And, and so... The same is true in chapter 6. God told Noah, make thee an ark. There's no indication He said that to His wife or to His sons or to their wives. But God came to Noah and said, make thee an ark. God comes to Noah in verse 1 of chapter 7. Come thou, singular, and all thy house into the ark. God speaks directly to him. And I see a progression in these verses personally. Noah entered first, and then his family followed his leading. Notice in verse 7 again, Noah went in, and then his family went in with him. In verse 13, Noah and his sons entered, and then their wives went in with them. And I believe there's a picture in this account of how Noah's family, listen to me, they had to be convinced that Noah was right with God. This is a crazy thing to be doing. Build a gigantic box be scoffed at and mocked and all the rest. And, and yet here's a family that is following this man. Why? They're convinced. This is a man who walks with God. And, and they could see something in his walk with God that caused him them to know that he sought to please God and to obey God and that he was in tune with God. Now, I'm not suggesting the others didn't have faith. I believe they did, or else they wouldn't be upon the ark. Amen. I believe they did have faith, but um, certainly we can see an example of a God-ordained patriarchal family. Amen. I know that ain't popular today. Just say amen and pretend like you agree. And, and they had to trust that God was speaking to Noah. Amen. 
To be clear, I'm thankful for every godly woman, every godly wife and mother. Hallelujah. God can certainly speak to you just as easily as He can speak to anybody. And I know that He does. Every woman here is more than capable of following God's leading, and it's evident you do because you dragged your husband here today. Woo! Amen! That's good preaching, preacher. Listen, so this isn't a matter of capability. But the fact is, God's design for the home is to be led by a godly husband and father. This doesn't mean that he shouldn't seek his wife's opinion or her counsel. I go to my wife with every decision. I want her opinion. I want her counsel. There's things she knows better than I do. Can you believe that? But what this does mean is there needs to be one head. And if a wife is as godly as she says she is, then she will welcome the leadership of a godly husband. Our nation today needs some husbands and fathers who will step up and be godly men and lead their families. Wives need to experience the safety of having a husband who is in tune with God. Children need to know their dad loves the Lord and that his actions are guided by his relationship with God. This is the clear structure in the Word of God. It can't be any plainer. This has been established by God. We've already seen it in this series when God created Adam and Eve. 1 Corinthians 11.3, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. And this structure, we'll we'll see it extends further when you get over to Ephesians. Of course, uh, many of you are aware in chapter 5, husbands love your wives. Right? Wives be in subjection unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And then what does it say at the beginning of chapter 6? Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. That's God's structure. There, There is a pecking order in the home. Uh, and so before the Virgin Mary was, was married, to the, uh, married to Joseph, the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, you're going to conceive and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. But after Mary and Joseph were wed, God then transferred and spoke to Joseph concerning directions with Jesus. God then went to Joseph and said, get up and go to Egypt. And so listen, we see this throughout the Bible. And, and, and I wonder how many homes are frustrated or, or stifled spiritually because there's a husband or a father who refuses to surrender his life to God. I wish some husbands knew how desperately their wife wants them to step up and to be the man that God has created them to be. I've seen them weep for it. Yeah. Yeah. Worse still, there are wives who have to come and seek counsel on how do I obey this man and obey the Lord at the same time. In churches. Hey, these things ought not to be. A wife shouldn't have to come to me, husband, and say, what am I supposed to do? Follow him or follow the Bible? Because on one hand, I'm told to to reverence and respect and, and be in subjection, and then over here, he's telling me to pull back from God. That's a problem. Some of you husbands have placed your wives in situations where they have to wrestle these kind of decisions. Men will say things like, I just don't want you going to church that much. You know, it's going to be a help if you would just give less to the church. And then she comes in sobbing to my wife, to me. What, What am I supposed to do? And I want to wring the guy's neck. Well, good. If that husband only knew the tears his wife has shed over him, 
because she truly desires to have a godly husband. Perhaps he would better see his shortcomings and his need to be a biblical leader in the home. If that father only knew how his children are needing and wanting his affection and his counsel, then perhaps he would get out of his comfort zone and hug his child. Well, my dad just didn't do that kind of... I don't care what your dad did. Do what the Bible says. How badly they need to hear that you love them. How badly they need to have your arm around them. How badly they need some father figure in their life to encourage them and help them along and direct them. Maybe if some men understood this, they wouldn't be such workaholics. Listen, you're not getting that time back. Once it's gone, it's gone. Those godly wives who are being held back by their spiritually apathetic husbands are desirous for a home that is patterned after the Word of God. And those children are seeking for your affection. They want to follow you. Now I'm just saying today, we need some men like Noah who know how to hear from God and then lead their family according to God's Word. Listen to me clearly. I'm not saying we need men who are dictators. Your wife is not your doormat. And we don't need men who just abdicate, what's the word? That just get rid of all their responsibility and pass it down to their wife. That's not what I'm talking about here. But, But I'm talking about men who can biblically lead their family. Noah walked with God and his family had to know and to trust in that because of what is taking place here. The whole world would have been against what's happening. They would have been mocking this and scoffing at them and and they would have been making fun of their faith. No doubt they would have been tempted to live a life of sin. But having the assurance that Noah was a man of God helped them to stay on course. Our families need to see our walk with God and know that we have the mind of God because the day is coming when your children are going to be ridiculed, mocked, and scoffed and tempted to live a life in sin because of the faith that they followed you in. It's not theirs yet. But they're at a decision point. And once that ridicule begins, then that child has to make a decision, am I going to buy the truth or sell it? What am I going to do with what's been given to me from my family? Do they want what we have or will they cave to the world's peer pressure and decide a life apart from God is worth it? If they do take that path, will they at least be able to look back and realize their old man walked in the truth of God? Whoop! I've always said my children, they may end up being knuckleheads, amen? I've got a few. (laughs) Um, But I'll promise you this. They can look back and say, that guy believed in God and he walked with God. Do they see a genuine desire from us to walk with God? Do you have a faith that's worth following? I mean, think about the trust that the children and the wife of Noah had to have in him. Noah, are you sure? Yeah, let's get to building. What's going to (laughs) happen? It's going to flood the whole earth. Everything's going to die. Well, that sounds pretty crazy. It sounds crazy to the world's ears today. Everything's going to die. This world's going to be judged. I wonder how many families at Liberty Baptist Tabernacle could testify that they know that their husband or father is being led by God. 
Can they trust we are being led by the Word of God? Do they see a genuine desire from us? And, and listen, please understand, I'm not talking about perfection. There's not a perfect family. There's not a perfect church, not a perfect pastor, not a perfect dad, not a perfect mom, and there certainly are no perfect kids. <laughs> okay, well, at least y'all are tuned in and serious, I guess. I know there are some who need to step up, but I also want to praise this church because I'm thankful for how many men do serve. Many of you have stepped up and you have a desire to lovingly lead your family according to the Word of God. Many here are serving even to the point that we've had visitors come through and say, I can't believe how many men here are serving. They just don't see that anymore. There's the feminization of Christianity taking place, and a lot of churches don't see it. So I'm thankful for, for all of you who do. For many of us, I think this is probably just a reminder, keep doing what you're doing. Be the man that God wants you to be. For others, you may realize you need to cultivate a closer walk with God for the sake of your family. Because if, if it ain't enough for you to get motivated to walk for God because you want to please Him, then maybe you'll get motivated enough because that's what's right for your family. Amen. All right. It's God's design. And listen, I promise you she'll embrace it. Amen. You're saying there's never going to be an argument? I never said that. <laughs> your children in time will be thankful for it. Amen. I know Noah's family was thankful that he walked with God. Yeah. And you should be too because we're here as a result of it. You say we're all related? Yeah, unfortunately. Well, that's sermon number one. God has told Noah and his house to come into the ark. Noah has obeyed. His family has followed Noah's leading, trusting that he's right with God. And now that all eight souls and the animals are aboard... I want you to notice the statement at the end of verse 16. And the Lord shut him in. I want, to, I want to give you just a thought here. There comes a point in every believer's life when you're going to be brought to a point in your walk with God. You're going to be faced with a circumstance where you'll have to discover that God is all you need. You'll be brought to situations where you have to learn that maybe my walk with God isn't what I thought it was. Situations where all you have left is to trust Him. That's how it is with Noah here. And listen, just like Noah, sometimes those lessons, they come later in life. After you think you figured everything out, right? I'm no longer a teenager, so I'm awesome. Um, well, now I have kids. I'm pretty smart. Uh, no, no. <laughs> God still teaches you lessons as you go throughout your life. Noah built the ark just as God had commanded. He demonstrated his faith in God's Word, but now it has come to a point where he has to trust God even further. And this time it will be completely out of Noah's hands. Noah was instructed to pitch the ark within and without. Um, that would be some kind of water sealant. And... Now, he's at a section of the ark where he has no control over it. Noah would not be able to seal the outside of the door. He's on the inside now. God said, come into the ark. And, and so, God told him to get on board. Noah and all are on board would now have to trust the Lord completely when it came to that door. Up to this point, Noah has been able to be hands-on. 
It was God's plan, but Noah was the one building the ark. You with me? And perhaps God didn't provide Noah with every little detail, like maybe he could carve a flower somewhere for his wife. <laughs> whatever, whatever guys would do. I, I can't work with my hands. I just preach sermons, okay? And all I do is pick on her in those. That's my love language, aggravation. Um, and maybe God didn't provide Noah with every little detail. Maybe there was some creative ability within those parameters that God gave him in chapter 6. Um, and, and, and for some of you, especially some of you men, it, it would have given you the sense of control over the situation. And maybe some of you women. I'm not a woman. I don't know. But would have given you this sense of control. You're the one building it. You, you see, we, we as humans, we like the feeling of being in control. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And so we bounce around from job to job to job to job to job. All because I've always had bad bosses the last 30 times in three years. No, it could just be you're an idiot. And so we, we don't like being told what to do. And, and so we, we even have to be told, don't take matters into your own hands. We want to be in control. God brings us to places and circumstances in our walk where we are left with no choice but to wholly trust Him. There's a comfort of being in control. And it can cause us to draw back in our walk with God. I was in the military for 21 years. I know the comfort of every two weeks getting a paycheck. That's pretty comforting. It didn't matter how hard I worked. Some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's good enough for government work. right? There's a reason for that statement. Um, and what that can do is it can cause us not to fully trust God like we maybe think we were. God's going to test our faith as He proves us in this life. God wants to keep, God wants to keep us growing, always growing. And, and in the process, we'll be faced with who we really are instead of who we think we are. God wants us to learn to trust Him completely. Noah and his family will now have to trust that God is able to secure them into the ark. And they're going to have no control over it. God's going to shut them in. And if you're struggling with what's going on in your life, it could be that God is trying to teach you, trust me more. If you're God's child, then He has your best interest in mind. It doesn't always have to make sense. And you won't always be in control. They couldn't see the Lord sealing them from the inside. They had to trust in the Lord that they could not see as He shut them in and as He sealed them in. They could not take control of this situation. They, they had to trust God was able to take care of them and protect them from the coming flood. And, and listen to this. They wouldn't know how well God had secured them until the flood came. You don't know how good your God is until you go through it. If you want to trust God more, you got to go through the storms. The uncomfortable situations where you have no choice but to trust God. Just raise kids. 
And I'm not being ugly there. Our, our kids have been great. I, I'm just saying there comes a point where you just have to trust and say, okay, Lord, I've done all I know, I've done all I know to do. And it's now out of your hands. That's just one example. Listen, if you can trust Him to save you, then you ought to be able to trust Him to take care of you. Perhaps the most obvious lesson here is one we are most familiar with, and that is when Noah and his family were shut into the ark, they were secure. They were secure. The Lord shut him in. Jesus said to the church in Philadelphia in Revelation 3-7, speaking of Himself, He that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. If you have entered into Christ, our ark if you will, then you need to trust that your standing with God is secure. Yes, I'm talking about once saved, always saved. If you're in Christ, you're secure. In John chapter 10, Jesus calls Himself the door and He said over there in John chapter 10 verses 28 and 30, I give unto them eternal life, they shall never perish, neither shall any man Pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now this is where some will tell you you can jump out of God's hands. I've heard those teachings. Yeah, you can't be plucked out by somebody else, but you can jump out. Well, there's a problem here. Because Jesus said just before that, I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. What does it mean to have eternal life? I mean, this is just logical. Can you have eternal life one day and not the next? No. Or else it ceases to be eternal life and it's now conditional life. What does it mean to never perish? Can you never perish one day but then perish the next? No, it contradicts God's Word. I'm just trying to help some. In our text, it is the Lord who sealed the door for Noah and his family in the ark. Remember, Christ is our door. With that in mind, I want you to consider these passages. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Let me give you one more. Ephesians 4.30. And grieve not the, the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. The Bible is so clear on this matter. We come to God through the door, which is Christ, and then God seals us in Christ through the Holy Spirit. There's no greater security than that. God cannot deny Himself. The Holy Spirit's God. Christ is God. God cannot deny Himself, which, which means this. He has, when He has given us the Holy Spirit as the earnest of us being His purchased possession, He cannot deny that. And so, how long are we sealed until the day of redemption? This is, this is not talking about the day of salvation. This is talking about the day when our faith becomes sight. Amen. Luke 21, 21, or 21, 28. Look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. He said that to save people. 
Uh, Some put it this way, we are saved from the penalty of sin when we call upon the Lord to save us. That is our justification. We are being saved from the power of sin as we grow in the Lord. This is our sanctification. And one day we will be saved from the presence of sin. That is our glorification. Amen. 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 And so if you're in Christ, the Bible says you're sealed. You're sealed in. Listen, just learn to rest in that truth. Don't let Satan try to convince you otherwise. Why? Because you're not always going to feel saved. I've had moments. So I can't go off of feelings. I have to go off of God's Word. Amen. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 1.12, Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And what? I'm persuaded. That He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. What is, what is the key to knowing that truth? What is the key to being able to say uh, th- that I understand that I, I'm kept and that He's able to perform that which He started in me? It's knowing in whom you have believed. Because He says, I know in whom I have believed. And when you understand that salvation is a gift of God's grace, you'll understand that you weren't good enough to earn it. And listen, to me it's so simple. If you're not good enough to earn it, you're not good enough to keep it. Because if you're good enough to keep it, why didn't He just set the standard to say you got to be good enough to earn it? Well, praise God, I'm glad I'm in a Baptist church today. And so it's all a work of God. And thank God it is. Noah didn't earn it, but he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah couldn't seal him and his family in, but it was a work of God. And once the door was sealed, they were secure. But when the Lord shut them in, it also tells us that all others on the outside were shut out. It wasn't that God didn't try. It wasn't that He didn't offer. It wasn't that He didn't strive with them. It wasn't that the message wasn't being preached. It wasn't that it was evident. They just flat out rejected it. God has now ceased from striving with mankind in our text. The time of grace is now over for all those who are on the outside. The iniquity of the lost world was now full. And with the door shut, the world was cast off from all hopes of entering into the ark. God shutteth and no man openeth. The time for God's wrath had arrived. God is merciful and gracious and He's able to save to the uttermost. But God's wrath also stretches to the uttermost. That's what the Bible says. God's love will save whosoever will and God's wrath will reach whosoever rejects Him. John 3.36 He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That is the sentence of God's wrath. It will be executed one day if there's no repentance, if there's no coming to Christ for salvation. Matthew Henry wrote this, The door of mercy will shortly be shut against those that now make light of it. He goes on, Now knock and it shall be opened, but the time will come when it shall not. Luke 13, verses 24 through 28, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and 
thou hast taught in our streets, but he shall say, I tell you, I know not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping, gnashing of teeth, when ye shall see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. You're not getting in after you die, if you're not in Christ. Amen. You're not getting in when he comes back, if you're outside of Christ. Boy, you're trying to scare us. You know what Jude says? Others saved by fear. If you're on the outside, there's coming a day when it's too late. If you keep refusing God through Christ. Now I'm thankful the door of God's grace is still open to whosoever will. But when you die or the Lord returns, I said the door shut. There'll be no hope left for you. What are you waiting for? There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Or there'll be joy unspeakable and full of glory. I don't understand how people can reject the message. Is there anybody here that needs to be saved? Anyone that will admit that they're on the outside? Boy, I'm asking you, enter in today. Enter in before it's too late. The Lord died to save you. He shed His blood to take your sins away. He shed His blood to make you clean. Because He robed Himself in flesh and died in your place, He stands ready to save you. All you have to do is come to Him in faith, believing in your heart that Christ came to redeem you. Believe in the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. Believe it in your heart. Confess it with your mouth. Just trust Him. Only trust Him now. And He will save you. To those of you in Christ, and I I know that's the, the great many of us this morning, do you have a faith like Noah's that's worth following? Can my kids look at me and say, He walks with God. They're far more perceptive than you think. Maybe you know you need to cultivate a closer walk with God. Why won't you start that today? Perhaps you're walking closely with God today. And if so, praise the Lord. I want you to understand the days coming, your faith will be put to the test. God will bring you to a place where you have no choice but to trust Him. You'll have no control over it. So learn to trust Him more and more, and He'll guide you safely through. I'm going to invite you to do business with God right now. Let's pray, and then we'll have a time of altar call.